Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Uh, I mean, why not? I could give you a list of reasons why not to talk about bench press. How long have you got? Yeah, I'm already recording. I was oh. kind of hoping that sneaky, snide remark went in and... um. You know, actually got into the recording, but instead maybe Sam misses it and people are just no. left on this cliffhanger of a description about a sneaky snide comment I made pre-recording. That's right. Got to keep it vanilla for the people. <laughs> yeah, do you though? Like, you know, vanilla, maybe a bit of chalk mint ice magic. On I don't top know. I think the word vanilla in that context gets a bad rap. Vanilla is a pretty solid base for a lot of fun things. Absolutely. Vanilla is the second most expensive spice in the world. Like, it should be cherished. Second only to saffron. Yeah, and who uses saffron anyway? You just tell people you put saffron in things. Yeah, just put turmeric in it and be like, yeah, it's yellow. Yeah, it's 100% saffron. Went the extra mile. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. How are you, my friend? Oh, yeah, I'm all right. Uh, no major complaints. We're still in lockdown. Probably not going to get out on the 17th, which is when we got extended extended to for the first time um which you know i'm kind of prepared for at this point uh but we're allowed outside for two hours of exercise now instead of one hour of exercise uh which has been good because that is contributing to my endurance training because sitting for two hours on a fucking bike that doesn't go anywhere is hmm. Really boring. Uh, so at least being outside is nice. Um, yeah. So yeah. A couple of long rides has been good for my mental health. And it's yeah. sunny again, which is nice. Are you guys getting c- cases? Like, do you have many cases? Yeah, there, or is it like, just- I think we had like 20 new cases today and then like it was like 11 yesterday. And then like, yeah, it's sort of, it's hovering somewhere between, you know, low teens to 20 or 30, depending on mm. the day. Uh, but it seems to be trending in the right direction. To be honest, I'm not keeping that close of an eye on it because it just makes me fucking miserable to watch that shit every day, <laughs> um, especially with watching what's happening in Sydney. So yeah. I am just trying to ignore a lot of that and focus on what I can control, which is the things that I'm doing in my life as opposed to existential dread caused by an inadequate vaccine response from a federal government but anyway let's not get too political about things because <laughs> so bad. We'll lose i went down to uh <laughs> i went down to tasmania on the weekend to the wrpf nationals yeah. how was that um, it was legitimately one of the most fun comps i've been to in a in a long time like That's sick they get real rowdy down there. The atmosphere was amazing. There was a lot of great lifting. All I saw was a lot of videos of cool multicolored light setups, and now it makes me want to block all the windows in my gym and put disco lights on my platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Bo and Nick at, at Portside Barbell did a really good job of just – it was a good-looking comp, you know? Like, the platform was cool. The the setup was cool. The warm-up room was, was spacey. Like, it was a good comp. I really enjoyed my time down there. Um 
my lifters had great days. It was, it's, yeah, it was just cool. Mm. Uh, I, I have an interesting story, uh, which was my travel down to Tasmania. Um, so I'm a person who's basically dedicated my entire life to uh, accumulating virgin points. Uh, virgin, virgin wouldn't fly to Tasmania on that day, so I had to fly Jetstar. So I flew Jetstar and... Um, about 15 minutes into the flight, I was sitting on the aisle seat. The guy across the aisle from me uh, got into a bit of medical trouble. He was 78 years old. Uh, he started sweating profusely. He couldn't talk. He couldn't move. Uh, he couldn't breathe. Uh, so he's sweating profusely. We start fanning him. Um, the guy next to him fanning him. The guy in front of him is fanning him. We're all fanning him. We call the flight attendants over. We ask for some water for him. He gets the water. He's delirious. He's out of it. He tries to open it. We open it for him. He tries to drink it. He misses his face. Then he just pours it all over himself. We're like, we need to cool this guy down. Can you get some ice? Um, and so the flight attendants are, of course, jumping into medical mode and like trying to ask him questions. We can't speak. Yeah. The guy next to him says that he's his carer, but he had a real shady story. Like he barely knew the guy. He had no information about him. They had no answer as to like where they were going and why they were going there. It was like all real vague and shady. Um, after about like 20 minutes of this guy basically dying, the guy's like, oh, he's an asthmatic, by the way. He's got a puffer somewhere. And I'm like, why don't you tell us this 20 fucking minutes ago? So we get him a puffer, has a few puffs to the point where he can like open his eyes and lift his head and lift his hands up. So he can give us hand signals of like thumbs up, yeah. thumbs down. Whole time we're still fanning him. He, at this point, he can't hold his body up. So he's like slumped into the aisle. So I'm propping him up with my arm across the aisle. Fuck. Um, they ask him, are you asthmatic? He says, yes. They're like, can you breathe? He says, no. Do you want oxygen? Yes. So we got him an oxygen mask. He can't keep the oxygen mask on himself. So I'm holding the oxygen mask on his face and propping him up while the other guy's fanning him. Um, after maybe like 45 minutes of the oxygen, he can say like three or four words. So um, they ask him like, where are you going? Uh, he can't answer. They're like, who's meeting you there? And he manages to spit out family member. They're trying to ask medical history. He just says asthma. Um, but within like 20 minutes of not having the oxygen on, he went twice as bad. So he like went straight back into like the same sort of episode to the point where they're talking about an emergency landing. And then they call a doctor like over the, is there a doctor on the plane kind of deal? And there was. So we put the oxygen back on him. Doctor does a bunch of tests. Um, the oxygen brings him back to life a little bit. Anyway, that, this just keeps going around in circles the whole time I'm holding up him up and fanning him. But the, <laughs> towards the end of the flight, we put the oxygen back on him because he keeps pulling it off. And I'm holding him up and he starts twitching and then his whole body just goes limp. Like just within like three seconds of putting the mask on, I'm like, this guy just died in my hands. Holy like, what fuck, the dude. fuck? Uh, and he's not breathing. And then all of a sudden he starts snoring. It turns out he just like exhausted himself from all the oh, yeah. fuffle of the I've flight. I've seen that happen before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so he slept the rest of the flight just in and out of this like delirium. But yeah, it was pretty hectic. Did you ever find out what happened? No. Nah, why no, like his it, weird care uh, no, such a yes. dodgy story? So we, we never found out the story and all the um, like flight attendants were really pissed off at this other guy. Because the other thing was about 20 minutes into the like initial episode, the carer guy just put blinders on and went to sleep for the entire flight. Didn't help out at all. Didn't fan him. Didn't, didn't help out one bit. Didn't care. It was what the fuck? Very, very, very odd. Um, after a few bouts of oxygen, the guy managed to say that he had a panic attack which is what happened, uh, apparently. Uh, but It sounds like he's been kidnapped by this dude. And the guy's uh, like, yeah, if he dies on the plane, he dies on the plane. Another weird thing. So the guy had dementia, obviously. Right, uh, I think 
I think the guy next to him said the guy had dementia. He had his wallet in his hands the whole time and he kept opening it and trying to give us cash. But his wallet probably had like three grand of cash. Like it was stacked with cash. It was just a very, I know old people carry cash, right? But it was just, the whole thing was fucking weird. Anyway, that's what my story. What a weird fucking story to not actually have any end to it either. Like that's the most frustrating yeah. thing about being in that situation. All you want to know is like, why has that guy got so much cash? And why does he care and not care if he does? Maybe he's just getting like, yeah, I'll pay you three grand to make sure I don't die on this plane. And he's like, oh, if he dies, I'll just take the three grand and he'll be dead on the plane. It'll be fine. Yeah. The, the end <laughs> of the story is the plane landed. We all got off and there was an ambulance waiting for him. That's that's all I know. The only other thing I know is at the comp, someone mentioned, oh, you came to Launceston yesterday on a flight. Did you hear, like I heard through the COVID like conspiracy news page that there was a man with COVID on it. I'm like, I was holding that guy up the whole flight. I'm famous. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, that, that, that's my story. Anyway. What a, what a crazy fucking... Wow. I'm surprised your uh, Instagram fitness credentials didn't come into play before the doctor was actually discovered, though. Like, <laughs> Is there a doctor like, in play? Hey, I'm, I'm a doctor of gains. <laughs> that's right. PhD, bitch. <laughs> uh, oh. Wow. All right. That's got to be the craziest story we've had at the start of one of these episodes for some time. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. More importantly, oh. though, have you got into the new delicious yeah, coffee options say. from our good friends at Prism? Use the code Peakspeak. I only took them home last night, so I haven't tried them yet, but three new bags. Like, I was yeah. surprised. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, excited. I can't remember the name of the blue one, whichever the blue one is. Let me just look at it now. Cause is I that the one with cherry? Um, There's one with cherry that was really intriguing that I'm keen to try. Anyway, while John's looking it up, Go to Peak Speak. Uh, go, go to Prism Coffee Co. Enter the code Peak Speak. Get a yeah. sick discount and buy some of their sick coffee. Uh, it's a Colombian, a juicy, sweet, and smooth washed experimental processed coffee from La Honda Cauca. This experimental washed Castillo lot was produced to improve the flavor and refine the acidity of the traditional washed, washed Castillo lot at La Fantasia. Uh, this was achieved by a very controlled fermentation under cooler conditions than normal uh yeah it's delicious mandarin honey and caramel it goes really nicely as like a black filter coffee i've been drinking mm. more like filter coffee uh in the mornings so nice. yeah real good like that but also goes nicely with milk as well amazing all right uh, we're 10 minutes in let's talk about bench press ah uh, that seems like too early in the podcast to start <laughs> serious content to be honest <laughs> Yes, we're going to continue our series of talking about actual powerlifting in a powerlifting podcast. Who'd have thought? Uh, we did a whole bunch. Did we do three or four on the deadlift in the scheme of things? I think we did two and a Q&A. Yeah, Can't two remember. and a Q&A. So today we're going to talk about bench press, which is, as we all know, the least impressive of the three powerlifts. But unfortunately, it is still a part of powerlifting. So we should probably talk about getting better at it at some point. Absolutely. So the real question is, how little bench pressing can we get away with and still actually have a semi-respectable bench press? Six times per week. Oh, that think. seems like at least six times too many. Yes, absolutely. No, I think uh, bench press is a, a good uh, a good thing to delve into. I think um, it's it's the highest skill requirement of the of the three lifts followed yeah. only closely I'd, by sumo deadlifting yeah i definitely agree with that hierarchy uh and uh, for me the reason i would um 
I would uh, consider it to to have the highest skill requirement is the, I mean, every lift that we do is unnatural. Like we mm. do them in a very unnatural way. It's it's not good enough to say, well, we do squatting movements and deadlifting movements in our day to day life because we don't like the way we squat when we've got a bar on our back. All yeah. of them are unnatural, but it's very counterintuitive to be doing something like pulling your scaps back and pushing something away at the same time. Like you know, your body's role in these movements is different to what we're telling our bodies to do. Uh, and bench press is, is probably the, the highest level of that, as well as the fact that from a controllable aspect, um, shoulders have the most control. Like we have the most control over where our shoulders are in space compared to like your hips or your knees or whatever. Um, and so because there is a higher element of like, we have to drive this through the way that we think and we cue and we move um, on top of that, you know, unnatural skill aspect. That's what I believe makes this difficult. Because the the other big rocks of bench press, like uh, breathing, bracing, leg drive, that's just simple as yeah. what we're doing up top with shoulders. That's the stuff that's that's tricky. Yeah, the um the way I talk about the shoulder and hip difference is um and I've heard it described like this before as well. Like everyone talks about them being ball and socket joints. Uh, and for the most part, the hip is a ball in socket. Like it's a, it's a deep suction capped kind of thing. It sits deep in there and it's got a lot of range of motion, but there's obviously still some limits to that. But then if you look at the structure of a shoulder and the way the three joints come together in that position, mm. it's much more of a, a ball on socket. It's a much shallower socket. So it's got a lot more range of motion, but then like you said, it, it relies upon the stability produced by the musculature around it more so than the structure of the joint itself. And mm. um, so that's what Thomas is referring to when he means it's, it involves a lot more thinking and sort of active control rather than just relying on the stability of the joint itself. For sure. And another, another big major difference in, in what John was just saying is that with the hip, we can translocate the joint, but only minimally. Like we can, we can change where our pelvis is in space. We can tip it forward, pull it back, uh, but only a very small amount. Whereas where our shoulder is in space, space we can translocate quite dramatically. We can yep. lift it way up. We can pull it way back. We can reach it way forward. Um, and understanding how to manipulate some of those variables is going to make a big impact uh, when it comes to performing on the bench. For sure. I think the other thing as well is actually that when you look at the nature of a squat and or deadlift versus a bench press is the like open versus closed chained approach to it as well. We In a squat or a deadlift, you have your feet on the ground. So there's a, a connection between that joint and the ground itself. And that's what's going to give you both the feedback, but also the, the sort of stability and the thing to push off. Whereas a bench press is your hands freely floating in space and you have to fix the other end of the joint. Uh, system i guess which makes it much more complex and feels much more uh unnatural i guess for most people that's certainly the thing that i've seen most new or relatively inexperienced people struggle with that can often be uh, sort of shifted in terms of how they think about it by putting them in like a push-up position which then gives you that more closed chain approach to it mm -hmm. so I, th I think probably a good place to start this conversation is you know, in the last probably year, maybe two, um, there's been groups of people that have started to gravitate away uh, from the concept of shoulders back and down, you know, scapular mm. retraction and depression. Um, and I, I suppose a good place to start this this conversation is um, around the idea of like, what what are we trying to do with our total shoulder package? Like, but especially what are we trying to achieve with our our um, scaps. What what 
do you teach? What do you what do you think on this subject? So the way I talk about it to to most people is to <clears throat> describe to them the difference between pressing something heavy for the sake of just pressing something heavy and pressing something heavy for the sake of a sport, which is what powerlifting is. And so there are therefore constraints in the sport itself that we need to consider when it comes to how we perform the movement, because it's not just about how can I lift this weight, but it's about how can I lift the most weight and be the most efficient and finding the most efficient pattern relies on a good setup. So the first thing I think about and the way I talk about like the arched shoulder position that we're looking for in a, in most powerlifting bench presses is that we're basically reducing the range of motion by changing the height of your sternum because the bar has to come down and rest on your chest at some point in that movement. So the less distance we have to move that, like with any uh, aspect of powerlifting, the theory is we can lift more weight. So that's the biggest thing. And I think the misconception in a lot of the new or inexperienced lifters that I see is that you have to chase this really massive arch and that that's actually the goal of this whole setup. And I think more than anything, that's secondary to setting a really solid and stable platform to be able to actually press off because not everyone's going to be able to create a really massive arch that gives them that full width grip Instagram meme bench press that is technically within the rules and, and certainly something you could you know pursue but for the most part is unrealistic for the average everyday lifter Mm -hmm. Uh, so first and foremost we're looking at reducing your range of motion with that from there it's about giving you an angle that allows you to create the most uh, pressing force through the biggest muscles in the system being your pecs and delts so the way we position your shoulder is about facilitating that and then obviously your grip width and those sort of things fall into line as part of that process Mm-hmm. cool 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 so um uh i i like what you said and how you put it uh, i agree with most of that i'd, I'd say uh, i teach it a little bit different um or i might i would rationalize a little bit different so um like coming back to you you saying you know what what are, what muscles are we actually trying to achieve? Uh, sorry, what muscles are we actually trying to use to move the weight? That's got to be the biggest concern. Like uh, in in my system, how I teach the lifts and how I teach coaching, I break every lift into three rules, like three mm. pillars, three major things. And rule number one is always where do we get the power from? The bench press power comes from the pecs primarily. The pecs job being to lever the arm across the body. If we want to maximize the opportunity for leverage point, the lever point has to be fixed. And so a big part of what we're trying to do with our scaps, like how we control our scaps, is to fix that lever point so the power coming from the chest moves our shoulder in the way we want it to. If you're trying to lever and your shoulder is popping forward, you're losing retraction or your shoulder is moving, it's going up or down or whatever, you're going to lose leverage, you're going to lose power. That's where people fail at lockout because they've lost that leverage point. It's no different to people failing at lockout on deadlift because they've lost the leverage point of their hips. Mm-hmm. So a primary reason as, as to why we're trying to fix our scaps is going to be to maximize the power that we can generate. Um, I break down the upper the upper body system as in like the, the shoulders and scaps and everything into three major categories uh, with six major components. So category one is uh, what I'd call shoulder stability, uh, which is around shoulder torque. This is the rotational aspect of the shoulder. Internal and external rotation together create torque. We want to maintain torque to keep uh, integrity at that joint. Um, That's not something we have to think about too much, but it'll come into play. 
Uh, category two is scapular stability. So in, in the bench press, we're looking for an element of retraction, depression, and anti-tilt, stopping the scaps from tilting forward. Uh, and category three uh, with the one component is thoracic extension. Very complicated bullshit. It all kind of happens together though. So we don't have to think about it too much. So the, the real question um, to, to sort of like address this, what do we do with scaps? is why do we do with scaps? Like, why do we retract? Why do we depress? So a big aspect of retraction, like John was saying, is going to be A, reducing range of motion for sure. Um, and it's not just about shortening the distance the bar is traveling for the sake of it. Yes, yeah. there's a huge aspect to that. But if we reduce the range of motion of the bar, we reduce the stability demand on the shoulder. And if the hardest part to stabilize is the bottom, so if you're taking your shoulder through range and you don't have the control at the bottom, stability being motor control and strength, if you don't have the control at the bottom, your shoulder is going to move to accommodate the bar coming down. That's going to diminish your ability to create power, regardless of how long or short your range of motion is. And so retraction is going to be huge in terms of that. Depression is about translocating your shoulders towards your hips. And in doing so, you're translocating the bar and where it's going to travel to a higher point up your body, which is going to contribute to reducing the range of motion. The other thing you get is force coupling. So when you depress your scaps, you also extend your thoracic, which gets your chest up higher. When you depress your scaps, you bias towards external rotation of the shoulder. You know, pressing is a very internal rotation dominant movement. So biasing towards external rotation creates rotation in the other direction that creates torque, that creates stability at the joint, so we can use the muscles to lever the shoulder, to move the bar. All technical fucking bullshit babble that goes together to say, fix your shoulders so you can press more weight. That's ultimately what it comes down to. The really difficult part of that is how much retraction, how much depression. And so th this is something that I really struggled with until I did some mentoring with Pat Davidson because I've fired shitloads of these sort of questions at him. And where I kind of arrived at is like, because if, you, if you're sitting there and listening to this, try this, right? If you retract your scaps as far as you can back, you'll go into scap elevation. You'll do the opposite of what we want to do in bench press. Like if you just hold your arms like you're holding a bar, keep pulling your shoulders back, you'll go into elevation. If you, re if you don't retract your scaps and you just depress your shoulders, you depress your scaps while your arms are out in front of you, you'll go into protraction. You'll go into the opposite of what you want to do. So how far? My answer to that question is pretty vague. It's as far as you contract, can retract, as far as you can depress without affecting the other one. Yeah. Ultimately, it's kind of irrelevant. It's about just fixing your shoulders in position so you can complete the lift in the way it's supposed to be completed. Yeah, and that's like like you said, there's a lot of technical jargon that I'm sure a few people might have to go back and listen to that again, mostly because when Thomas gets excited, he talks really yeah, sorry. fucking fast. My bad. Um, but that's okay. We, worst case, slow your podcast speed down to like eight, <laughs> and I reckon you'll be sweet. Um, I think more importantly than understanding the technical jargon is how we then go about implementing this in a way that describes it to someone who can actually execute these things without having to understand the whole process because in the end mm -hmm. you don't have to understand all of these tiny little nuances to things we enjoy intellectually wanking each other off over this because <laughs> this is what we do for a living and therefore we think about these things and enjoy sort of expanding our uh, understanding of things so don't feel like you're ruined because you don't understand a whole bunch of things that Thomas said, but instead let's talk about ways to teach this and implement it in terms of how you can explain this to a complete beginner. Because I've certainly had a few different ways over the, over the last few years, 
some have been significantly more successful than others um, and have finally sort of settled on a couple of different options. But more often than not, it involves me like just poking people until they can understand <laughs> what it feels like and giving yeah. them those sort of things. I know I've seen you use a couple of different like band drills and stuff like that as well. So how do you go about like systemizing this process so that it's mm. easy to understand for the average punter? Yeah, so 100%. Like me going into all that complicated bullshit, that's important for a coach to understand so you can simplify it for the lifter. Exactly. Because if, if we just say, no, 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 just pull the bar apart, like that's that's missing the entire fucking point. That's just words. We need well, to- and, un- and we've talked extensively about the mistakes of relying on <laughs> three or four words in a queue and completely misrepresenting what that actually means in yes. several episodes in the past. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So um, the way I look at any complex subsystem and how to cue it uh, in, a, in a bigger system, so the subsystem being what we're doing with our shoulders, how do we cue it in an already complicated, weird movement like bench press? The easiest way to do this is to not cue it, is to feel it in a drill and then put that into the movement. And so like what we need to understand is the three, three big parts of this is like pulling your shoulders back and down is fucking easy. Everyone can do that standing up. Like, that's, that's the easy part just actually being able to move your shoulders like that that's step you say one that, but i've met some people who can't do that <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> um that that's step one can you even do that in the first place but the the really hard part is like can you maintain that while you're descending and even harder than that can you maintain that while you're pressing up because that transition between the bottom top that's where you'll come up stuck just like you come unstuck off the bottom of a deadlift, you miss the lockout. Come unstuck off the chest on bench press, you miss the lockout, or you just don't get more than a few inches off the chest. And so I want to tick all of those boxes off with my drill. And the drill that I gravitate towards is a band pull apart with very specific cueing, which is like shoulders in the position for bench, pull the band apart. As your shoulders go through full range, because this is the important part, being able to do it is one thing. You have to be able to do it while your shoulders are going through the range that they go through on bench press, which is actually pretty demanding. And pretty yep. difficult. Uh, so uh, pull your shoulders back and down, grab the band, pull it apart. While you're pulling it apart, scaps are dynamic. They move while you're moving. So think about squeezing your chest out to meet the bar, pinching between your shoulder blades, and then maintain that squeeze that you feel at the end of the band pull apart while you go through the eccentric portion, while you let go of the band. Keep all that tension in your shoulders. That's what it's going to feel like when you bench. Set your shoulders back and down, squeeze your chest out to meet the bar as you're coming down. Keep squeezing your shoulders as you're pressing up. That and makes it super easy to digest when you're actually lying there. Yeah, and it's one of those things that um, you can use in between sets really effectively. To like, mm. I, and I often with or actually with everything we do, I will have you just do a couple of sets with an empty bar, and then often, especially if you're kind of reasonably strong, before I say anything about what you're doing or how we're going to teach things or anything like that i'll generally have them put a little bit of weight on the bar Mm. and move around and and get a set or two under their belt just so i can get a feel for how they're moving and what they do because in the end i've seen some people who look like complete garbage squatting an empty bar put 100 on they squat beautifully and so we could have spent hours chipping away at looking like garbage while you squat empty bars and not actually made any progress but uh something like that is a really useful drill because like you said it allows you to take that feeling and that movement pattern in a really easy to understand and and digest 
process like sitting on a bench with a band in your hands because in that environment you can walk around and poke them between the shoulder blades and mm. i i've always liked the idea of uh desc- or i had success with describing the idea of uh lifting your sternum by imagining someone's got a fishing line hooked to the your sternum and they're like pulling yeah, yeah. to the ceiling that active idea of like actually reaching for the bar with that's been really useful uh, but then being able to recreate that on the bench itself is definitely the more complex step. Um, in something like that, what are the things you feel like are the most common faults? So yeah, like as an example, the one I always see with that exact band drill, because I use something very, very similar, is people go to pull the bar apart, so to speak, or to create that retraction and depression. And all they end up doing is creating this weird chicken wing pose as they try <laughs> and pull it into the bench. And it's like, it's really common. Often people who haven't done a lot of lifting will end up straight in that position because they just don't really have the awareness of what their shoulder blades are doing. And it's really easy to kind of cue someone out of that for mm. the most part. But are there other like key mistakes you see in how these these drills are implemented or, or done in the first couple of exposures before you get a chance? to show them how to do it well yeah like i wouldn't i wouldn't pinpoint any any specific examples i think it's 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 exactly like you said like because there are so many moving parts with this a lot of the time we're we're literally this is the art of coaching we're dealing with whatever direction needs to be dealt with and so Mm. there'll be a, a whole host of people that are really terrible with scap retraction a whole host of people that cannot depress their scaps a whole host of people that have very poor thoracic extension um the good news with this is that all of these things kind of work together and like later i want to talk about problem solving either in this episode or later on and to fix these things should be a very 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 simple pathway it's it's the annoying thing with shoulders is that shoulders are probably where you're going to see the most imbalance most unilateral imbalance most funky things going on and it can be quite intimidating Mm. um especially if you're not uh if you're not familiar with it or you uh or maybe if it's associated with pain or discomfort it can be really fucking intimidating uh, to watch someone or to to be a lifter and watch yourself do one of these things in the mirror and see one shoulder sitting way higher than the other what's wrong with me um probably nothing i feel like for myself it's it's only been in the last handful of years that i've really actually got on top of understanding how the shoulder works and the mechanics that actually underpin all of these movements not just in the bench press itself but in everything else as well because there's so much going on and mm. and actually i think like you said when you when you break the bench down itself i often describe it to people as one of the more simple lifts in terms of like what we're trying to do it's the precision requirement coupled with that slightly unnatural feeling that you don't get when your feet are on the ground in a squat or a deadlift that makes it so complex for so many people um had another point to say there but it's just completely left my brain Mm. i I would follow the complexity as well with like we've got this hideously unnatural thing that we're doing with our shoulders up top and then on top of that like the art of benching well is getting as disgustingly uncomfortable as possible (laughs) yeah like get, getting in, getting into a proper arch and leg drive sort of situation is is the art of being okay with being incredibly uncomfortable, and yeah. so like your body's fighting that it wants to relax. You're fighting your body by saying no, don't relax, stay tight, 
and you've got all these areas that are lighting up and sending signals to your brain. Your hip flexors are like, what the fuck are you doing? Your quads are like, why are you doing this to me? Your lower back is like, I, I don't want to bend like this. Your upper back is like, why are you squeezing me so hard? Fucking stop. <laughs> Everything is just noise. And uh, when you've got so much noise going on, you lose focus on another area. The super sure. common with people learning to bench properly is like nail one thing, one set, nail one thing, another set, really hard to coordinate it all and, and yeah. hit it, hit the right line every time. I know you've said a lot, uh, if you think you're tight, you're not get tighter. But, <laughs> uh, to throw back to last week's episode about coaching nostalgia, there's a Dave Tate, uh, so you think you can bench series on the Elite FTS YouTube thing yes. where he is standing there talking this guy through getting really tight in the bench. And then he's like, okay, so you, you're tight. And he's like, yeah. And then he just picks up a two board and it's like fucking goes real close to just smacking this dude and he flinches and his whole body gets tight. Like, now you're tight. <laughs> and it's one of those things that I've seen done a lot. I'm like, oh, I just am unwilling to pretend I'm going to smack someone with a piece of wood yeah. to get them really tight. But it's definitely one of those feelings that I've seen a lot of people struggle with early on. And often it's the people who are not very experienced in training because they haven't had a lot of experience in those quite uncomfortable positions and this is the difference between it being uncomfortable and it being painful because mm -hmm. there are some people who experience like it's often in my experience at least uh people with extension sensitive lumbar spines that end mm. up in a slightly extended position and like oh that is really unpleasant putting a lot of pressure through my lower back in a way that doesn't feel like good and most mm -hmm. semi-experienced lifters can tell you the difference between that feel like uncomfortable pressure but it's okay versus that hurts yeah uh and so there are again i think modifications around understanding that first and foremost and being able to create an environment that allows people to to understand the difference how do you go about teaching people to be really tight oh i mean like that's threatened to hit them with bits of wood <laughs> no i mean the it's, it's in the art of the setup right it's about um, setting up in a way that maximizes every area of tightness as best we can without double dipping and with conserving as much energy as possible. Like powerlifting in general is a very ritualistic sport, as in like mm. you see a lot of people do a lot of things that mean nothing. Yes. Um, like uh, John will appreciate this. Uh, the funniest one was like in the transition from equipped to raw lifting. So I think like early early 2010s kind of era um a really common thing with equipped deadlifting was to stand there and throw your hands up in the air and take a big <laughs> breath because the suit is pulling your shoulders down it's really hard to elevate your ribcage and get air in so yeah. lifters used to go to the bar throw their hands up take a big breath reach down go to the bar and do a deadlift lots of raw deadlifters did that for years just because everyone like it's a ritualistic yeah. thing just like my shuffling favorite, oh, yeah, my good. favorite one is when people do that and then breathe um, at the bottom. Yes. <laughs> it's like, like, I'm sorry, you just went through that whole fucking thing and then you exhaled. Like, what that, the fuck are you doing? The, anyway. the, the whole point is that people do this on bench times 10. So like, yeah. they'll swing through the bench. They'll put their feet up. They'll put their feet down. They'll let go of the bench. They'll let go of their shoulder tightness. They'll grab the uprights. They'll push themselves into an arch. They'll let go of the uprights. They'll let go of their shoulder tightness. They'll shovel their shoulders under. Then they'll pull their feet back. You know, like they'll double dip into every area of yeah, tightness as the, much as possible. The walking individual shoulder yeah. blades down the bench press. Lots yeah. of things. And so uh, I'm of like everyone that I teach how to set up, I'm like, this is how I suggest you set up. And this is what I want us to work towards. But if they're an experienced lifter that gets in a good position already, um, I'm going to try and get them into a better position. But ultimately, how you set up is far less relevant to where you end up. Yeah, if you yeah, can exactly. end up in a good position and your setup's a little bit like alternative or a little bit wacky, 
who cares as long as you can get in the best position possible yeah. it's just like your setup process is going to determine that to some to some degree um yeah just try and have an objective look at your setup and see how much stuff am I doing that doesn't mean anything? Yeah. Uh, because if you're a lifter listening to this, chances are you're probably not experienced enough, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, to have seen this happen or had to have experienced this happen. But sometimes you have to set up twice. Wrist wrap yep. falls off, misload, get off the bench, hamstring set up again. Cramp. Whatever, yeah, hamstring cramp. If you have to set up twice in a competition, almost guaranteed you're fucked. Because the setup process when you're getting as tight as you can is taxing. Yeah. So the more efficient yet you can be in your setup, the better off you're going to be. And it's a time thing as well, you know. Like if it if it's something like you get a hamstring cramp and your setup takes 25 seconds, and you get a hamstring cramp 20 seconds in, <laughs> you're in trouble. Like you are then really pushing it to be able to get that bar out and, uh, and get be the able call to yeah. get the start call and, and actually make the lift. So. Uh, again from a practical standpoint what like if you if you can design a lifter to create a perfect setup what does it look like or so what I, are the what are the key points that you touch on i guess is probably a better way to describe it for describing the setup process yeah so i, I teach it in one of two ways depending on if the lifter is flat-footed or up on their toes yep so up on their toes i use the swing through thing so mm -hmm. like they'll, they'll pull their feet back take their body behind the bar the key thing, again, because we want to keep it a bit more conceptual, the key thing for me with people swinging through, a lot of people will come back and swing through like that and create false tightness. They'll yes. let go of their legs while they do it, and so they have to double dip with legs. Just like um, you're all probably familiar with watching someone set up on squat where they take the bar way down their back and then bring it back up. Mm. Taking it way down their back isn't actually creating tightness. It just feels tight because you're stretching essentially. And so like when you swing through on the bench press, if you're using that method, make sure you set your leg drive first and swing forward against your leg drive because then you get your leg drive and your arch set in one clean, clean, clean swoop. Then you just set your shoulders on the bench. Yeah. So that, that's what I do for up on your toes. Up on your uh, flat feet is just the opposite. So set your shoulders first, yep. dig your feet into the floor, dig your heels into the floor, pick your hips up, and then walk your feet back one at a time until you can have your feet flat and bum on the bench. Yeah. Um, what about you? Yeah, cool. Yeah, look, I, I do basically the same thing. For me, for the most part, I... I will generally lean towards teaching someone who doesn't have much experience flat-footed benches as a first point of call. I, at least in my experience in the completely inexperienced or very new lifter, flat-footed just generally gives them a bit more to feel in terms For of sure. their lower body and leg drive and therefore just a bit more stability in controlling that whole position. I generally won't change someone away from up on their toes i just don't often teach it like if, mm -hmm. if it's something that a lifter wants to explore or tries to tries a bit and is like hey this is something i'm i'm interested in it feels good cool we'll pursue it and i'm happy to use it it's not that i don't think it's a good idea i used to bench on my toes i have since gone flat-footed because i found especially with the quip stuff up on my toes was just too hard to balance mm. like i a, a fractionally shitty handout just had me falling off the bench on one side yeah um but i actually set up my own bench like i'm on my toes and then just shuffle my feet until i can drive my heels down and get my feet flat mm. um so that's what i used to teach and what i was finding with people would like slide out too far and then have to reset foot position yeah. after that's the only reason i changed away from that yeah it definitely takes a bit of practice for to, sure to nail that feeling but i actually am, uh, can be in a position there where there's 
no weight in my ass whatsoever like and that's yeah. I, in my eyes that's the ideal position is all of the weight in your bench is in your feet and your shoulders yeah and your ass kind of is just floating. touching yeah. yeah your ass is just touching the bench because that's all you actually need mm. uh and i find i can create that the best that way so i do almost exactly the same process as you like i said i just have a tendency to to bias towards flat-footed unless the lifter has already shown competency in the other direction and if they've got really fucking long legs sometimes that's the only way you can effectively get their knee below their hip and actually mm. create any real leg drive um that's interesting yeah, so basically i do the same thing because so so i completely agree i think um it's way easier to feel and rationalize leg drive with a flat foot mm-hmm. i think it feels infinitely more um more stable and controlled especially if you're a new lifter and you don't have yep. that skill yet and with that I generally gravitate towards teaching up on your toes for less experienced lifters for the sake of if they end up in a federation where they need to go flat footed, it's much easier to transition in that direction than the other direction. Um, And like there's, there's, uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think um, it's just how I've done it for so long that I can just continue to do it. Like same thing with the band pull apart drill. I actually think a more relevant drill would be something like a broomstick looped through a band that gives you something to torque your shoulders against while you go yeah, through I've, that motion. I've used that, um, uh, but actually in a bench setup with like a reverse band. From a bench. like power rack. Yeah, like yeah. a reverse band bench setup and use that with uh, some effectiveness. It, well, it's not something I'd use for everyone, but I've used it in a couple of instances to really show and like definitely uh, distinguish between what those feelings feel like uh so yeah it's it's something that you can play with for sure yeah i all i was saying is i've i've done the band pull apart since basically since i started coaching that i'm so um adept at coaching it that way that i'm just happy to continue to do that when i teach new coaches like when i teach the coach development system i'll use that as an example but i'll say get creative with this stuff as long as you achieve the concept which is set shoulders in a particular way and move them through this range of motion fuck fuck you want as long as it teaches the lifter what to do and that's the thing with the bench that you touch on before like powerlifting is very ritualistic but i feel like bench is the one where you're most likely to do a bunch of weird shit that doesn't actually do anything to the end product like i feel like with a squat and a deadlift you definitely see a little bit of it you see it more on the deadlift because there's not much to do other than bend over and pick up the bar so people want to make themselves look fancy for instagram but um whether consciously or not uh but I feel like bench is the one where you see so many just little things where you're like, hey, you just like wasted 10 seconds shuffling your shoulders and then didn't actually use them properly or something stupid like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the end result is obviously the the tell in the scheme of things. Uh, do you want to talk about leg drive as a process and how we distinguish that between flat-footed and on your toes? How are you going for time? You need to leave uh, not good. I have to go in, f- in a matter of minutes. So I think we go TBC and start okay, cool. the conversation with leg drive next week because then there's and other then we stuff. We can maybe talk about accessories and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I like it. Cool. All right. All right. We'll leave it there. Sounds uh, good. We will see you all soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.